Welcome to the Farm Commons Podcast, where we make farm law accessible and actionable for sustainable farmers and ranchers, as well as their networks of support. I'm Eva. And I'm Kate. In each episode, we explore real legal issues faced on farms every day, providing key knowledge and tangible solutions to help you grow a thriving agricultural business. From managing liability to navigating tough conversations with landlords and neighbors, we've got your back. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast. It's Eva here, and I'm joined by our new co-host, Kate, who joined our team earlier this year as Farmer Education Associate. Kate, you've had a bunch of podcast experience with PRX and working with farms in New England. We are super lucky and so thrilled to have you on board. Thanks, Eva. I am so happy to be here on my first Farm Commons podcast episode and for what I think is such a juicy topic. We are going to be answering a question we've heard from a number of farmers. When and why should I consider paying employees with a salary opposed to hourly wage? It is such a good question, and I can't wait to learn more. I'm not currently a farmer, but I will be jumping in throughout the episode to ask questions about how this topic applies to my hypothetical farm business, just to provide some examples. But the real guide through our journey of understanding salary and overtime will be one of our staff attorneys and fearless founder, Rachel Armstrong. Hi, Rachel. Hey, folks. Great to be here. Love doing the podcast. Awesome. Great, Rachel. We're excited to dive into another GC Farm Law topic. And the question that we are going to explore, Kate, you gave a great intro there, is when should farmers consider salarying their workers and why? This is a great question. And it's one that we get from farmers of all types, as well as farm advocates and educators. Many of us have worked in a salary position, so we kind of have a sense of the basics, right? We salaried people, we don't get paid by the hour. We just get a paycheck, usually every other week or so. And it's supposed to be a paycheck no matter how many hours we did or didn't work. It can be a really simple and attractive system, and I think that's why farmers are curious about it. Um, But as you might guess, the law says that not everyone is eligible to be paid a salary. Mm, Plot's thickening here. Well, where shall we start? Uh, Do we dive in at who can be paid a salary, or should we start with why it might be a good choice? Uh, Let's start with why why farmers would want to consider paying a salary. So for many farmers, paying by salary actually doesn't offer them any benefit at all, so they won't need to know any further details. Uh, Let me summarize. The benefit of offering a salary is that it allows the the employer to avoid paying overtime to some or all of their employees. Some employers can offer selected workers a salary and then they don't owe time and a half for all hours worked over 40 in the week. Now, salary isn't a strategy to avoid paying minimum wage or anything like that. If minimum wage is required, it's required. And the law still requires that all employers track hours and make sure that any required minimum wage is still provided. Salary also isn't a strategy to manage cash flow by doing payroll less often or in a larger lump sum. 
So for example, some farms might want to pay wages every other month or maybe only after a crop is harvested. State and federal laws require that wages be paid out at certain intervals, usually at least monthly, and paying by salary really doesn't change anything there. Okay, but let me get in here with my farmer hat on. Rachel, I know I never got paid overtime by the farms I worked with, and I thought that was because farmers didn't owe overtime for hours worked over 40 in the week. So true. So true, Kate. You, you're definitely correct. Most farms do not pay overtime for hours worked over 40 in the week. And under federal law and most state laws, they are not required to pay overtime. Many states adopt the same rule, and farm workers in those states are not entitled to overtime pay. So... What I'm hearing from my hypothetical farm business is that I don't owe overtime in the first place. So why would I consider paying wages via salary? Excellent, excellent question, right? So let's go there. All right, not every state follows federal law. Some states like California, New York, and Minnesota do require that overtime wages be paid at some point. And if you're wondering, dear listener, what the rule is in your state, we have that information coming up at our website. So, but also, this federal and state exemption to paying overtime, meaning you don't have to pay it, only applies to agricultural labor. If the worker performs any non-agricultural labor, well then, non-agricultural rules apply, and the employee is owed overtime pay for all hours worked over 40 in the week. Which, of course, begs the question, what is non-agricultural labor? You know, subject for another time if we want to really get into that. But for now, let's just say if, that, if, if the labor isn't tending to crops or livestock, it might not be ag labor. So things like making off-farm sales, doing agritourism, processing a product, all of those things may not be agricultural labor. And we have resources at our website to help uh, flesh out that question a little bit more. So to recap for listeners, the federal overtime pay exemption only applies to agricultural labor. And once non-agricultural work like restaurant deliveries, market sales, or workshops, tours, and even farm store hours are thrown into the mix, overtime pay is due for all of those hours worked over 40 in the week. Thanks for giving us that clear picture, Rachel. Now let's dive deeper into an example of a farm that might owe overtime pay. Sure. So let's take Kate's hypothetical farm business. Let's say Kate is operating in New Hampshire, for example, which follows the same as federal law. No overtime pay is required for agricultural workers. Kate has been in the business for five years. They're growing produce for CSA and local farmers markets. They've got five full-time employees working in the field during the main season and in recent years have expanded into giving weekly farm tours. One employee, Lawrence, is managing the tours. That's non-agricultural labor and it's happening every week. So every week, Kate owes Lawrence overtime for all hours worked over 40. Lawrence clocks in 50 to 60 hours a week during the summer session. Whew, okay. Thanks for that clarity, Rachel. And what I'm hearing is that I owe overtime, and I know if I don't provide that overtime, then I am at legal risk. So I want to fairly compensate my employees, but I am already paying a living wage of $17 an hour per the MIT living wage calculator. 
If Lawrence is clocking 50 hours a week, I would owe him an additional $255 per week, which I simply cannot afford. And this is where I want to know, can I salary Lawrence to fairly compensate him without paying overtime? Perfect. All right. So yes, here is where salary can play a role. Salary can be an attractive alternative to overtime pay, whereby the employee is paid a flat amount regardless of hours worked. Salaried employees don't get paid overtime for hours worked over 40. They are typically provided with benefits and have flexibility in their hours worked. And so salary can also simplify payroll at this point. Okay, I'm listening. I hear it works in theory to address my needs, but does it work legally for my specific farm? Excellent question. That is the next step. Okay, according to the law, salary can be used to avoid overtime pay for employees who fit certain categories. These categorical exemptions go by three broad names. They are the executive exemption, administrative exemption, and professional exemption. You can kind of guess that the employees who qualify for salary treatment under these exemptions are executives, administrators, and professionals, right? Yes, and you can read about all three at our website, but I'm only going to emphasize the first one because it's the most relevant to farm businesses. So that's the executive exemption. Now, this doesn't mean that a person has to be a CEO or other formal you know, job title with executive in it. It means that the employee must be managing and regularly directing the work of at least two other full-time employees or the equivalent. So this worker should also have the authority to hire and fire those employees, in addition to giving suggestions for whether these staff deserve promotions. So our first question is, does Lawrence manage at least two other full-time employees? And to the extent, can, Laura, can Lawrence hire and fire for those positions? But wait, wait, before we get into that, there is still some more. The executive exemption also requires that the employee be making at least six hundred and $84 in gross wages per week for every week in which they do any work. Now, most people don't think about salary in terms of the week. So let's scale that up and say that this is the same as an annual salary of about 35568 for the year. So our second question for you is whether Lawrence makes at least that much in an annual equivalent. And the caveats aren't over before we, before we get to the specifics. Keep in mind that that income threshold that I mentioned right now, 684 growth in gross wages per week, may change in the future. And changes have been threatened, but they have not happened at this point. Mm. Okay. All great information to know. So at my hypothetical farm, Lawrence is my field manager, but he also conducts tours a few times a week, he'll give a couple hour tour to our customers. And because giving tours isn't exactly agricultural labor, it looks like I've lost my exemption from overtime. And using salary would benefit me. He makes $40,000 annually, so I have that covered. But Lawrence has no one reporting to him. I call him my field manager because he makes decisions, but he doesn't really supervise the field hands. I still train and hire the field hand, so it sounds like he would not qualify for the executive exemption. You know, I think you're on the right track. Yes, you're paying him enough to satisfy the law, but if he doesn't manage and direct at least two other employees, you've got a problem. 
So if you're willing and able to consider deepening Lawrence's leadership and management capacity, you might be able to address that issue. But the executive executive exemption is not a short-term fix in that situation. Mm, Okay. So it looks like my solutions to avoid paying overtime to Lawrence are rework his hours to keep him below 40 hours a week or assign him only agricultural labor, taking him away from the tours. So I'd like to turn to our listener audience now and address another question that may be coming up for them. If I do owe overtime but haven't been paying it, do I owe back pay? Could the worker sue me? What is the legal risk in this situation, and how can farmers and farm producers manage it? Well, super good question. But actually, this is the point where I need to send you to an attorney. If this is something that a person is actually experiencing, if they've realized they've been doing it wrong, the advice of a qualified attorney is the way to go. The attorney can help dig in deep and say, well, this is your exact risk exposure. Here are our options to manage it. That's a point where you you want some focused advice on exactly what has been happening. Now, I have a question that's coming up for me on that note of salary because you know, I'm paid by a salary right now in my position at Farm Commons, and I do not supervise at least two people. So Rachel, is Farm Commons violating the law, or is there something more you are not telling us? Great question. Okay, yes, there is still more behind the curtain. Recall that I mentioned those administrative and professional exemptions? Those rely less on supervising other employees. But those exemptions are specifically geared for folks who do not do manual labor. Now, if Lawrence had an office job, like a farm accountant, then he might be eligible for one of those exemptions. And folks can read more about those at our website if they do feel relevant to, uh, to the situation. I, I also want to take a pause to point out that paying Lawrence overtime is also an option. It feels weird, right? Like... If I don't have to do that, why would I choose to pay time and a half? Some farms do choose that. It's because the financial threat to their business helps put the brakes on the urge to accomplish another task or do one more thing. It helps farmers put a hard stop to the end of the day. Some workers do not want to work 50 hours a week, and limiting things like that can help create quality of life for your workers. Absolutely. And I'd love to talk more about that, you know, that quality of life piece and um, just the rapport and experience of working on a farm. Because some farmers choose to pay overtime even when they aren't obligated. And there's so many reasons for that choice. And top of that list that we've seen with producers that we work with is equity. And so diving into that equity piece, the history behind the fact that farm workers are excluded from overtime pay is rooted in white supremacy. And it turns off some farmers from taking advantage of, you know, that quote unquote benefit. Uh, The, you know, diving deeper into the background here, the agriculture industry was exempted from both minimum wage and overtime requirements way back during the New Deal period when those laws were passed. And in fact, all domestic and agricultural and tipped workers were excluded from those employment protections in the law, the body of law that, that regulates this, which is called the Fair Labor Standards Act, or FLSA, or F-L-S-A. And that was created um, 
well, really, it created the federal overtime and minimum wage laws. So because the agricultural, domestic, and tipped worker industries were dominated at the time by black workers, this effectively denied black workers and other workers of color the protections that are or were afforded to white workers dominating other industries. And that continues on today. So citing a report from uh, Congress uh, that the National Employment Law Project put together, uh, Congress intentionally excluded whole categories of workers from vital protections in order to deny black people the opportunity for economic and social freedom and to really preserve a system where employers could profit off of racist exploitation. So nearly half of all black men, Mexican American men and Native American men and women, plus a significant number of Asian American workers were excluded from those employment law protections passed at that time. And the effects of this exclusion fell most heavily on black women because of their concentration as agricultural and domestic workers. Hmm. That is a hard, hard truth. And as I sit with that and I have my farm business owner hat on again, it makes me wonder, is trying to avoid paying overtime a continuation of the exploitation that is written into our laws? How can I pursue salary and feel like a good employer? Mm, that is the million dollar question. Well, we can move forward by reframing to focus on overtime being burdensome for farm businesses who are striving to provide a living wage. You know, those farms out there who are trying to do right by their workers and cultivate a equitable and enjoyable work environment. And salary can be a sustainable alternative that comes with flexibility and, like Rachel said, options for curating benefit programs that really honor the worker versus paying overtime and undermining the financial sustainability of the business. So really, this isn't about taking advantage of the law to save money and get ahead and put people down. It's about utilizing the law to support the resilience and sustainability of the farm business and doing so equitably. Thank you. Thanks for that reframe, Eva. And thank you, Rachel, for sharing your deep knowledge of this topic. Absolutely. Thank you both, Kate and Rachel, and uh, all you listeners out there who are tuning in and wanting to really rework your employment program for maximum resilience and also equity. So for you farmers and ranchers out there uh, that are interested in taking action on what you've just learned here about overtime, we've got three next steps that you can take. The first is to identify whether or not you're required to provide overtime pay or whether you want to choose to do so anyways. And we've got a guide for you. You know, you can always count on Farm Commons to have a resource available. Uh, we have a new suite of state guides that go by the title Selected Essentials in Farm Employment Law, and we have them for all 50 states, including Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. So you can check out that guide to learn about your state's overtime rules and how they might apply to you. And then from there, you can decide whether to restructure your work tasks and hours on your farm or pay overtime if plausible, 
Or if your ears perked up when Rachel was explaining that executive exemption and the thought of salary seems really appealing to you, you can pursue that executive exemption by using salary to avoid overtime pay. And we recommend seeking out or working with a knowledgeable accountant or payroll provider to help you in that effort. And number three, last one, you can enroll for our Advanced Farm Employment Law course for holistic support uh, as you pursue not only overtime pay uh, management uh, and even figuring out you know, if salary is an option for your farm, but also minimum wage, workers' compensation, intern and volunteer considerations, and so much more in that course, which is coming out in September. So thank you all you listeners out there for tuning in and best wishes as you continue growing along. We're so glad you joined us for this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. If you are looking for more resources on your burning farm law questions, visit our website at farmcommons.org for a variety of workshops, guides, checklists, tutorials, and more. You can also email your questions and comments to info at farmcommons.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and until then, keep growing.